Okay. Well, we are live on Facebook. To my knowledge, fingers crossed, everything is going well and you guys can hear this out there. Again, this is Teacher's Lounge Live. Basically, we are having this conversation, town hall discussion, just about school reopening plans, about remote learning, everything about school during a pandemic and how that's going right now. We have, I'm Peter Medlin, by the way, I normally host the show, which is not usually live. You can usually find this on our websites and on podcast services. Eric, you're a teacher's lounge alum. You know how this works. You've been here. (laughs) Okay. Yep. We see it. We're good to go. And so just having a conversation. And again, if throughout this conversation about schools, if you have anything to say. If anyone has any questions for any of our panelists, for me, we're going to do our best to answer these. And so go ahead, leave them in the comments below, or you can also email us. The email is teacherslounge at niu.edu. We have three guests with us right now that are going to help us in this conversation. So right now, let's just go around the horn, introduce everyone. Maggie, do you want to go first? Hi, I'm Maggie Riley. I'm a teacher at Proviso West High School in Hillside. And you're also the president of your teachers union, correct? Correct. Correct. Absolutely. So you're Maggie. Eric, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Eric Serwin. I teach English at Guilford High School in Rockford, Illinois, and I'm a chess coach extraordinaire. Love to see it. Love to see it. And then finally, last but not least, Lawanda, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I am Lawanda Lacey. I am a parent for District 428 in DeKalb, Illinois, and I am a member of the PTO. Perfect. And Lawanda, you have kids in fourth and seventh grade. Is that right? Do I have that correct? That is correct. Got it going. Perfect. And the reason that I wanted to have you guys on here is because I wanted to get a representative look. Maggie, you teach at a school that has been remote this fall. Eric, you teach at a school that has been hybrid, partially in-person, partially online for people that don't know what that term means. And then Lawanda, you're a parent. <laughs> You've had that perspective on having kids and trying to help them with everything that's going on. So I guess we can just get right into it here. And I think that I will start with Luanda. I remember we spoke right when all of this e-learning, remote learning was starting in DeKalb. They were one of the many districts that said they wanted to do a hybrid plan and then kind of pivoted at the last minute to be like, let's just, let's start online. And in early September, late August, when we talked, you were saying that it was going pretty well for your kids. How is it going now? Scale of one to 10, how are they doing with it? Um, okay, so the fourth grader, he is smooth sailing. He's probably about a nine. Here and there, he'll have uh, where he's not really participating or his camera isn't on or whatever, but that's just a kid. Um, seventh grader, however, he's probably a seven. He kind of started out as like a four, but um, his major concern is that he's not with his friends, but we've uh, started creating outlets for him to interact with his friends online. So he's gotten better. So it's it's getting better and you feel like there's like a little bit of opportunity that he can like interact with his friends and, and stay involved that way? Yeah. They're even yeah. Uh, talking about homeschooling once school starts back. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. I was going to ask, too, because I remember, again, in that last conversation that we had, I asked you if they had an option for coming back in person, at least partially, would you do it? And I think at that point you were saying probably not. 
that opportunity is at least for the fourth grader right now mm-hmm. could happen at the end of this month the calp is talking about i believe november 9th for people up to k through i want to say second grade and then third fourth and fifth later on in the end of november yeah. if that's the case for at least your fourth grader to go back in person partially how do you feel about that now um, I'm still in the same position. I would not send them back. And I think that's because I'm partially biased because I know the science behind everything. So I would not send them back. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like you've been able to have communication with the district? Do you feel like you have an input on the process? Um, I do feel like I have an input on the process. There's lots of communication with the district. Um, the district is really good about it. The teachers are great. Um, there's constant communication from both kids. Their uh, principals, assistant principals, and their teachers are doing an amazing job. So I actually have no complaints when it comes to the school district, the way they're handling it. Perfect. And again, for our teachers here, thank you guys. I know it's been uh, one of the comments that we got in on the email already was, you know, twice the work. This is so difficult. So really quick, just wanted to give a hats off to you guys. You know, Luanda just mentioned that, you know, they've had a lot of communication with the district. They feel like that's been going well. Maggie, I want to pivot to you and ask about how things are going with uh, with your district. First of all, just how are things going with remote learning for you? But then also, I know with your case with teachers and with the union, the communication has been not up to what you guys have wanted with the district. Well, I... I definitely think that we were better prepared for remote learning um, at the start of the school year versus in March. Um, We did get some training. We use Microsoft Teams. We did get some training through remote planning days. Um, Last spring, we would have like Friday remote days where we would um, do the features of Microsoft Teams. So we were definitely better prepared for the teachers were definitely better prepared for um, the start of this school year in August. Now, in the summer, the plan was to, uh, they came, the district along with the union developed a hybrid um, model, but then our board of education decided, you know, to go full remote again um, in late July. So we included both a remote schedule and a hybrid model into our memorandum of agreement with the district. So um, I think remote has been going a lot better this this time around. The teachers have been able to work um, from either home or they're able to go into the building previous to last week. Um, We did have a memorandum of agreement that stated when the teachers are remote, or when the students are remote, the teachers would be um, able to work from an instructionally appropriate location. So um, the district has forced us to go back starting last week on the 19th to teach in the classrooms. Um, and our superintendent, you know, due to the purchase of Promethean boards and technology in the classrooms, that was his reasoning to send us back. Um, As far as um, 
technology and stuff. Teachers do have technology from home that they were able to, that they were using to teach the students remotely. Now, I want to give out a shout out to all the proviso teachers. I think they're doing an excellent job in 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 these in this situation. Um, you know, I I couldn't ask for a better group of people to work with, and we're a three high school district. I just happen to be at the West Campus, so. Um, you know, we, you know, we feel there's a lot of issues going on in the district right now and with building conditions as well. Um, so we feel that the teachers should still be able to, you know, work from um, home if they choose to do so. Yeah. But, you know, let me just say this too, that the teachers and, and, probably for most teachers, we want to be in there in the room with our students. We want the students back in the classroom if if it's safe enough to do so, because we don't want our students in jeopardy. and We don't want to be put in jeopardy either, you know, from, you know, during this pandemic. And Maggie, just as a teacher, how has it been, again, if you could give me a one to 10 of how remote learning is going for you and what you've heard from your colleagues, especially compared to what you maybe expected going in and with what everything looked like in March and April while we were trying to put the plane together while it was in the air? I would say probably for me, it would be about maybe a seven. Um, I know there's, we struggle to get some students to still sign into the remote classes, um, but it, I would say back in, the spring, it was probably like a two to a three, but it's definitely a lot better than it is now, or it is than it was then. It is now a lot better. So, and then Eric, you guys, I feel like Rockford was one of the few bigger districts, especially in Northern Illinois, that last summer, right as everyone was kind of pivoting and saying, you know what, we're not going to do hybrid learning. We're gonna we're gonna go remote. Rockford was one of the few that said, no, we're going to see how hybrid learning works. We've got a plan in place. Tell me, you've been, tell me how long or like during the week, how that's carved up, how long you guys are in person, how long you guys are online. What does that look like before we even get into what the actual, you know, one to 10, how it's doing? Yeah, I'll have to tread carefully on that part. (laughs) Um, So the way it works is we have, you know, take at least at the secondary level, so grades six through 12. Um, students are divided into like two groups. There's the in-person and the full-time remote. So on Mondays and Thursdays, we meet in person, um, just for like regular bell schedule, uh, Tuesdays and Fridays, we do regular bell schedule with our remote students where we're meeting on Google meet is what is our, our, uh, platform. And then Wednesdays, like today, um, we call them win Wednesdays where, uh, students can sign up for extra support on the mornings and then in the afternoons we have a bunch of like um, PLC and SLC meetings and just staff meetings to uh, coordinate and try and work together. Mm-hmm. And then for you as a teacher going in in person, A, like <laughs> what is it like? Is it on a, again on the scale of one to ten but just for it being normal, how quote unquote normal does it feel and does it feel like you're getting a lot more out of your students in that time than you are online? Um, it's, it's just a mixed bag. <laughs> it's, it's all across the board. Um, 
I was really nervous about being back in the building with students. Um, I can definitely tell you that being in a room with kids, it, um, it made me feel like normal again. <laughs> so, you know, even with the masks and the, and the social distancing and the desks sitting in rows and columns, which I'd never do, um, it still felt kind of normal just to see students' faces and have some interaction with these kids. And so like, it felt really uplifting. And then as soon as they walked out of the room, it, it like the reality crashes in. <laughs> and so it's, it's just a swing every time I see kids. Um, I, I'm not having any more success with one mode than the other because mm -hmm. they both present their own kind of obstacles. And um, overall, like I can't do what I normally do. Right. I don't, all the tips and like all the tricks and things that we use to like get kids engaged and to really teach um, in both settings, our ability to do those things are just gone. Yeah. Um, especially with only two days a week. Like I can't even, there's still kids on my roster that I don't really know anything about, you know, cause I've seen them maybe two or three times. And then even the ones that come every day, it's hard to get them to interact. Um, so it, struggles. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I know that's been something that a lot of teachers have been reckoning with, especially, you know, teachers like you, Maggie, who are completely online, where like, not only is it tough to get people to interact, but you could have students that you or maybe are seniors or something like that, that you actually never meet in person. Mm -hmm. And that's just a profoundly weird thing. And Lawanda, you too, that like, your kid could have teachers that they never actually meet, depending on how long this actually goes. And that's just a really it's hard to build relationships in general. And now I'd imagine it's two, three, four, five times as hard. I don't know. I, I, teach, um, I teach culinary. So it's been a very big struggle for this remote learning. So what we actually did, me and my colleagues in the department, we placed an order um, for some uh, like basic supplies for the students so we can send some uh, ingredients and stuff home with recipes so they can at least practice the skills like with measuring and and whatnot so um, but all the supplies aren't in yet so we haven't been able to send that home yet but it's been a struggle just because I teach like a lab based class so yeah, I can't imagine. It's like you guys are going to have to do like one of those uh, uh, bubble like the Great British Bake Off or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that one of the questions that we got in that I wanted to bring up, and I know that it's actually just really hard to even have an answer for. And so many questions I feel like I have to ask and as a reporter during COVID are what I like call like crystal ball questions. They're like projecting in, off into the future. And I know that there might not be an answer for it, but I feel like I have to answer anyway, which is, and I think Luanda, we touched on this a little bit of, you know, do you feel like your student, do you feel like your kids are doing better or worse than they were in the spring in terms of, of learning. And I know we mentioned a little bit that it's like, you know, a seven out of 10 right now, but do you feel like, do you feel like they're getting a legitimate learning experience? Does this feel like school to you? Um, once again, because I have two kids in two different grades, yeah. it is different. So for my fourth grader, it really semi feels like school. I think he's getting the lessons, um, but I don't think he's really engaged the way he will be in the classroom. Mm. However, my seventh grader, at least for me, it's better because he doesn't like school. 
So at least while he's at home, I'm there that I'm sitting, you know, in the same room with him. And in school, I would always get that he would log on to a gaming website or whatever. So now I've actually hooked up a TV so I can see what he's doing (laughs) and keep him focused on class. Yeah. So like his grades were actually better this first quarter since he's been at home because I'm there, I can keep him focused and he can't get away with anything. Whereas in school, it's like, oh, mom's not here. So now he doesn't get that perk. (laughs) (laughs) He's not on YouTube. It's hard uh, to hide, be on YouTube, be on Steam playing games. (laughs) And then Eric, uh, I will talk for you too. Is it, again, I don't even know if there's a real answer for this, but does it feel like the same students that would be excelling or maybe not does it feel the same in terms of who is having success with uh i guess hybrid learning for you does it feel like there are some students that are doing worse than they may have normally and some are better is it the same kind of mixed bag that you were talking about before yeah it's uh it's just a big shuffle i think there's you know there's always going to be students that are going to excel and there's always going to be students that are going to struggle um what's interesting to me is to see um you know, there's some students that are, they like this setting. They like working through the screen. They like working through, um, you know, everything's on computers now and it's working for them. They're a little bit more independent. They have more flexibility in their schedule because they're only in school for two days a week. Um, Well, and then they're supposed to have lessons the other three days. Um, What I'm struggling, I teach a lot of seniors. I teach all seniors. Um, I had one student uh, yesterday or the day before on Monday I don't know. Days are getting weird. <laughs> Listen, but, this uh, is, it's all been one long weekend since March. I don't know about you guys. Right. <laughs> I don't know uh, where I'm at. Now. <laughs> right. I think it's been a constant Monday since about August for me. <laughs> um, but she was driving uh, to work. And this is a week after, you know, she was uh, working as, at a, as a customer service rep. And she had her phone up. And so in the middle of class, you know, we'd randomly hear the beeps of the cash register going. No way. Uh, um, because like our students you know, haven't, they haven't locked onto the idea that they're still in school five days a week. Um, and so a lot of them are struggling. And the problem that I'm having is, is that there's a lot of support that goes into a five day a week classroom experience. And especially for my seniors, like I'm dragging them across the finish line sometimes where if I see them every day, I can say, Hey, that paper was due a week ago. Where is it? Okay. You're going to stay in, in my classroom for lunch or you know, I can like offer that support. I can see a kid's face and know if they just need some emotional support. And because I can't do those things now, all those kids that usually rely on our teacher support, there's just no actual way to provide it to them. And so they're falling through the cracks. So our, our current failure rates are astronomical at the high school. And it's, it's hard. And no matter how much I call home or email or contact home, there are kids that you know, we're basically teaching a college model for kids that are not college ready. And it's really, we're actually doing less instructional time than we would in a college. You know, our kids are only getting a hundred minutes of direct instruction every week. And so it is not, (laughs) it's really hard because now I've got students that are doing all the work and doing really well, and they want my support up here. And then I've got students who are trying to figure out like how to log on. And, and it's, I just can't do it all. Right. And so my, my heart is breaking because I'm watching kids fall through the cracks and there's nothing I can do about it. 
Yeah, it, like there's always in education, we always see performance gaps. But now these gaps are not only you could argue or maybe we'll see with the research getting wider, which I'd imagine they are. But like you mentioned, with technology, it adds an extra gap that you feel like maybe as a teacher, you're less in control of. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then Maggie, how about you in terms of academics? I know it's, as we mentioned before, with culinary, it can be all the more difficult, but does it feel like, again, the same thing? How does, how does it feel academically? Um, my failure rates are, are higher than they would be in a normal in-person learning as well. Um, we have times set aside for in, the, in our weekly schedule for students to come in for additional supports. We call them ELOS, Extended Learning Opportunity for Students. Yes. Um, so those are, and then at the end of the day, we also have uh, for four days a week, we have about 45 minutes for them to have, it is called um, Learning Support and Student Services. And, you know, some are taking advantage of it and some do not. And, um, you know, I would say, you know, just in talking with some of my students, I mean, I would say the majority of them don't like the remote learning, um, being on the computer this much, because several of them have said, when are we coming back? I'd just rather be back in the building at this point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Again, I want to remind everyone that if you have any questions for Eric, for Maggie, for Lawanda, you can go ahead and just comment them below. This is what Facebook's built for. Just leave them in the comments. And we have one in. We have a question actually for Lawanda. And so the question for you that someone has is, as a parent, do you feel the teachers are being understanding to the students with working with them to use their technology and find their assignments and giving good feedback? So do you feel like it's easily understandable the way that teachers are communicating with, um, with your kids and do you feel like they're giving good feedback? So for my kids, yes, I do. They have, okay, so first I wanna say the Cal overall has some really great teachers, but my kids got really, really lucky with this and they have the most phenomenal teachers. Like they go above and beyond mm. to contact us. So like my fourth grader, when he has individual reading with his teacher, like she will literally text me and say, Hey, I have this time lined up with, uh, with Christian. So just make sure he's online. And so that helps keep things straight because not only do I have the two kids in the district, I also have two younger kids too. So I'm always chasing around someone. So that's very helpful. Um, and they also use the Google Classroom, Google Meet as a platform. And the teacher also, she puts for both kids, they put comments, they connect comments to the assignment as well as in the grading tool, which we call Skyward. And they put comments in there, so I'm able to see them. The kids are able to see them in multiple places. Um, when I email the teachers, if we're just not sure what's going on, they're very responsive. They have office hours, so the kids are able to log on and get extra help. Um, they schedule extra time with them. So they are really going above and beyond. And I, as a parent, I am very appreciative of it because I've had one teacher that was on the phone for probably 30 minutes at 5.30 at night while her kids are running around to help me navigate the different sites and the different apps that my kid has to go through. And that's, that's what I'm receiving. Now I've heard reports from other parents that that's not the case. 
But mm. then what I would say in that case is to reach out to the teachers. A lot of parents wait for the teachers to reach out to them. Parents have, especially not just in this case, but overall parents have to take that, that leadership and that role in their kids' education. But now more than ever, it is just that much more important to make sure that those teachers know who you are and know what you're expecting of them and they're able to give you and your child what they need in this time. Absolutely. And then bringing that to Maggie and to Eric, like we mentioned in this comment that we got earlier on that for you guys, teaching in a pandemic can be twice as hard, exhausting, and take twice as much time. Do you feel like you've had enough time and had the ability to give good feedback? And do you feel like it's being heard when you can, when you do? Um, uh, Eric, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'll jump in. Um, it's, it's hard. I've, uh, I made it a, a promise to myself that I'm going to send like weekly updates to all my parents. So using the, the email system. Um, so I'm sending weekly updates and just letting them know this is what we did last week. This is what's coming up next week. Um, and then I send a second round of like mass emails to any student that has an F. Um, and I haven't, I haven't had a whole lot of feedback from parents, but the ones that I don't have replied and have seen that um, they're, they're thanking me for the updates and they're, they're working with it. Um, and then, you know, for the students, I'm trying to leave, you know, usually there's a lot of feedback in class. I can just do in class discussion. And so I'll know a kid um, where they're at academically just from, you know, overhearing conversations in small groups and stuff. Um, so now the only thing I have is their work that they're turning in. So I'm trying to leave as much feedback as I can but it's just logistically impossible to leave as much as I would like to. Yeah. You know, whereas usually I can scribble out a few notes on a sheet of paper and turn it over. Everything takes a click and it takes a few seconds to load. And then I have to type and then I click save and then do the next one. And so, you know, grading an essay, I just finished a, a round of 120 essays. I was clocking in at about 10 to 15 minutes per essay. So at 120 essays, and then even that was spread out over a week. I didn't leave nearly enough feedback to really coach them the way I wanted to. And I don't even know if they read it. Like that's, <laughs> that's the worst part is like, I could spend this time putting all this feedback and I don't know if a kid's going to read it. Um, a few of them have reached out to me and asked for more, uh, more feedback, which is good. Cause at least I know they read what I put, um, which is actually interesting. So doing everything on the computer, I do read it in a different way. And it's been easier to like where I can highlight something that they've written in their work. Yeah. And so I can give them really specific feedback, which is something I can't do normally, um, which has been an interesting twist, something that I'm definitely going to keep with me no after this. Um, but I do miss like the off the cuff stuff. I can get so much more, um, you know, just in person. Maggie, I'm very curious to know your answer on this feedback portion, especially since you work with culinary. It's a little hard to taste test virtually, I'd imagine. What has that been like for you? So we're, we're not doing any kind of cooking right now until we get our supplies to send home for the students because we want to make sure that they all have what they need. Um, so we've done, we actually started in my class with safety and sanitation, which, you know, we were um, able to talk about what's going on with the pandemic and everything when we talk about sa san sanitation and even safety. So um, hopefully... We'll be able to start doing, you know, the lab soon and hopefully, you know, it'll be a good opportunity for students to include like their family, their parents, 
into doing all that too. Yes. Um, so I know a lot of teachers, you know, are using emails to reach out to parents and some of them have signed up for Google Voice, I think it's called, mm -hmm. where you're able to get the number. Okay. And, you know, we are, we had, we actually just had virtual parent teacher conferences last week where they were able to sign up and um, meet through Teams. So very similar to, you know, the Zoom setup through Teams. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I I'm elective, so I tend not to get as many um, parents, you know, uh, reach out for electives and some of the core classes will. So, but I know a lot of them were very booked up. I think we had a lot more parents in my building at least um, attend versus when it's in person. Absolutely. I want to move on to talk about how these decisions are made and what goes into reopening and all that. But I've got one more question, which is another comment that we got in. Actually, we just got several comments coming back in. But one of them I wanted to touch on really quick was about, uh, it came from a parent who says that she has uh, four kids at all school levels. And she was saying that she's been feeling with, with her children and hearing from her kids' friends that with remote learning specifically, that cheating is very prolific and is happening a lot. I'm curious to know for all of you guys, is that something that you feel is going on a lot? And also, is there really anything that we can do about it at this point? Is it really a concern? So Luanda, for you as a parent, I know it's probably different for fourth grade, maybe compared to even seventh or high school. So it might be a little different there. But what have you been seeing with your kids and what have you been hearing from them and from other parents in regards to that? Um, I haven't heard anything from other parents as far as cheating. Mm. Um, my kids, I have not had an issue with cheating with them. Um, it's actually been the opposite. They haven't been, they haven't realized that they could use other things to, you know, to like do their classwork. Like my son um, was doing a social studies assignment and he just wasn't sure, like the book wasn't giving him a good explanation that he can grasp. And he didn't realize that, oh, I'm on my computer. I could actually look this up on Google and get a better understanding. So it's been the opposite with my kids. And it's just, he's like, I didn't, I didn't know I can do that. I'm like, well, it's, you have other resources at your disposal. Like you have my textbooks from class. You have your dad's textbooks from school. You have the internet. Like you can use all of these resources and he didn't know that. So I haven't heard much about that, but I'm just not, it's kind of hard for me to even think about that with so right. many, you know, teachers saying that there are students that are not passing and they're struggling is like, you know, I don't think a lot of kids have actually thought about that because right. they're not taking advantage of it to get their grades up. Yeah. That's my question too, is like for Eric and Maggie too, like, is it happening? But if so, is it even really a concern for you at this point? Is it just, I want to make sure that I'm getting out my material and that people are hearing it. And if that's happening, I guess there's nothing I can do with it. Maggie, what do you think? It's happening. Um, not as, I wouldn't say it's happening with a lot of students. It's happening with some students. Mm -hmm. So what I, I do is like when I give out the assignments, I change questions around um, each period and I give them the resources every time. Um, they get like the book, we have the digital book chapters. Um, 
I give them, you know, notes and PowerPoints, but I definitely know it's happening. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily know what the solution is. Eric, what do you think? I don't think it's any more of a problem than it usually is. Um, maybe it's a little bit more accessible and maybe they just haven't, you know, caught on to how easy it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I know it's a concern for a lot of teachers. Um, I'm pretty lucky because I teach English where, you know, I, I can pretty easily design assessments that don't like our cheat proof, you can't, you can't write someone else's personal statement essay. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so I do a lot of, I, I do think about it when I design my, the work and the assessments that I'm putting out because I don't, I want to make it impossible for them to cheat or where it's going to be so obvious that, you know, it, it stands out. Um, and Google makes it easy, especially for like essays where you can click uh, original, where it spits out a report and it tells you if there is plagiarism. So it's nice when I go in, I, I found a few of those essays that were plagiarized and I just returned them with a little note that said, I don't know if you meant to do this, but you know, 50% of your essay was copied. So maybe try again. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, you know, for English, like people that are going to spark note are probably going to spark note, right? Like if you, you either read right. Jane Austen or you didn't uh, at some point. Right. <laughs> right. And most I, of them don't. <laughs> I think, I think too, when my kids, my students are able to start doing their um, cooking labs at home, you know, obviously they're not going to be able to, to cheat on those. They're going to, you know, they're going to have to do it themselves so that then it's going to have to be them doing it. So, yeah, Maggie, I'm going to keep it with you really quick. We got another comment in, and this isn't really a question. This is, this is more of a literal comment, but it's, it starts for you. It, it was, it's from a teacher who said, I know students who are dropping their special. So art music electives, because they're not in person and they're only online. So as a teacher, they feel like they're, you know, they feel like they're lo losing a lot of interest because they feel like students are as well, which they say is kind of sad. How have you felt about that or heard from other teachers that teach electives? Yeah, so me and my colleagues, we, we, uh, we have a saying now, we, we went from teaching pretty much the most fun class to the most boring one right now. <laughs> um, because that's what kids do take our class. They take an art to be a hands-on class. They take you know, culinary, they take auto to, to have that hands-on experience where they're learning. So it has impacted us and um, it may, in the future, if this continues on for a long time, kids are not gonna wanna take those classes where they can't have those hands-on experiences. So that's concerning because I think um, it's very beneficial for a lot of students to have classes like that where they're learning some life skills. Yeah, you know, I didn't even think of that because my seventh grader, he's he's taking specials, but his specials is Spanish. So I didn't even think of that because he likes art, but because he's doing Spanish, he couldn't do art this year. And that that is sad because a lot of kids do like the hands on things. And I didn't I, I'm feeling kind of down now because I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah. I know. Our, I know our fashion. Um, teacher or textiles teacher they were putting together like kits with where they can learn how to you know sew some small items maybe buttons and I'm not really exactly sure what all went into the kits but they were putting stuff together um for you know the kids to do some hands-on stuff at home um and I'm not really sure what the art teachers have sent home but like I've said earlier we have stuff on order we're just waiting for it to all get there for the kids to at least get some kind of experience 
we've got a uh, an art teacher at Guilford, um, Beth Austin, who, you know, she posted on her Facebook, it took her like 30 hours to put all these kits together. She had, you know, her art room just covered in materials and she made little kits for each of her kids. And then she sat at school for three hours as they came and picked them up. Um, but she was able to get uh, a bunch of supplies from Donors Choose, um, you know, little sculpture and paint and all kinds of things for the kids. It was, it's nice to see that come through. Um, and then she's, you know, having the kids like uh, paint while they're on Zoom or, or do activities while they're on the camera. So it's, uh, it's really great if, if that can happen. Yeah. But it is, you know, the logistics of it are just a nightmare. Yeah, my, my mom is actually a teacher and she's an elementary school art teacher. So she's been running me through that on a weekly basis. That same things, trying to get people to take pictures of their artwork, send it to them so they can get feedback on it. It's really tough. It's really tough. And again, I want to transition really quick and talk about reopening plans and, you know, COVID case counts, all this stuff. I want to run through a couple statistics, I guess, right now as to where the state's kind of at with COVID. At the beginning of the month in early October, there was a ProPublica report that had mentioned that there were around 8,000 Illinois kids. So just any children from five to 17 years old that had tested positive between mid-August and early October. So just like in that range that some kind of in-person has been happening. But we know that maybe around 500 or so at this point, cases have been linked to schools. And it's kind of been a discussion of, you know, case counts are rising through your county, but are they rising with people that are under 20 years old? Are these happening you know, are, is, the, is the virus being spread within a school for places like Rockford that are, you know, partially uh, hybrid or that are doing some in person? Is the school actually a place that it's spreading? And I guess my question first for Lawanda would be, as a parent, do you feel like you and other parents have a good grasp on what the metrics are for like how many cases there has to be or what the positivity rates have to be before the school would make a decision like we can go back in person or we all have to come back online. Do you feel like you have a good idea of what would trigger something like that or like what metrics or numbers the districts are looking at? Um, I do. So our district has been sending out the letters. Um, so when they postponed the, the students to come back in person hybrid, um, they did, they actually put that information in to say it was, I think it was like 8.2% positivity, positivity rate. So they're sharing that information. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I'm not finding is we hear about what teachers, well, not specifically by name, but we hear about the number of cases among teachers um, right now, but we're not hearing, I guess it doesn't matter because the kids aren't in person, um, but we're not hearing about the students. So for a while, I think it was 3K through second were doing hybrid learning this month. And we didn't hear anything about students and, and their positivity rates. Um, but we heard about teachers. And obviously, there's something going on because they are pausing the in-person. So in that aspect, I think it's, they're selective about the transparency when it comes to the students, which, you know, for privacy reasons makes sense. But yeah. Um, the statistics they're sharing. They're definitely sharing that those decision statistics. Right. And like you mentioned in DeKalb specifically, they have got plans for a hybrid at uh, this month and the end of this month, basically from K 
up to fifth grade. And they did last week go back for special programming to have some of that in person, but that actually got paused too for a while based on the county case counts rising. And I know it's 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 difficult too because you know we're talking about DeKalb County, we're talking about Winnebago County, DuPage County, all these different places. It kind of looks different in that you know in some there I think that the state is really taking a calculus of of what exactly what statistics they're looking at. There's you know is it 100 or more cases per 1,000 in a county? Is it an 8% or higher case positivity rate? And basically, are there increases in new cases for people 20 years old or younger that's 20% or higher? So there could be some counties where the case rate, like in Winnebago County, which I believe, Eric, is around 13% or so right now. 13.6, and it's been there for over a week. Yeah, so the case counts could be higher, but for students or for people under 20, those could be not as significant level. Or in somewhere like in DuPage County, the case count could be slightly lower than that, but with people that are younger, those could be higher. So it's kind of a calculus that people are pulling in. And for Eric, for like Rockford, where you guys do have some in-person, I know that those health departments are not only weighing the county numbers, but the school numbers. Like, is the school a place where the virus is actually being transmitted or not, which is something they're trying to figure out based on contact tracing. You've seen the health department talk about other in-person gatherings like sports or even like churches or things like that. So I guess for, for you guys, for the teachers out here, I'll, I'll start with, with you, Maggie. Do you feel like your district has been transparent about what, um, and do you feel like parents and students are aware of what point we have to get to before these things like at what point is it okay to be in person or at what point is it okay we have to pull back on that do you feel like people have an idea of that no um no the superintendent um who who started in august he's already made statement that students will be tentatively brought back in january and that's pretty much where we're at right now um i think it'll depend on you know, where we're at at that time or a few weeks before what the case counts look like. Because um, in the communities that Proviso serves, some of them are in the teens, while some of them tend to be a little bit lower. Yeah. So. Eric? This is a, uh, a difficult question to answer. <laughs> um, However you had, feel like you can answer. Yeah, we had a very clear image when we started school back in August that um, 8% was going to be the um, 8% for three days running was going to be like the metric that we would use to start those discussions um, when our numbers surged right past 8%. And it was, it was that, and then 150 per capita. Uh, there, so there were two metrics and we blew right past them and teachers started to get anxious and nervous and the community started to get anxious and nervous um, because parents selected in-person or remote based on kind of these figures and then, you know, we've just been keep the numbers keep going up and um, it has become very obvious that our our school board will not send we will not go full remote for anything. So at this point, it feels like, um, you know, I don't know what it would take to make a change. Um, our board meeting yesterday, one of the board members had mentioned something about, you know, there are zero cases of transmission in the schools. You know, one of the problems that I have with that is like, we're not, 
we're not looking for it. Um, you know, we'll send kids home with uh, symptoms, but they don't have to go get tested. They don't have to get tested to return. They just have to do a certain number of days out. Um, so I don't, we don't have the metrics. We don't know what the metrics are. We're not trying to get the metrics um, at this point. The numbers are appear to be meaningless. It's just kind of like, we're going to stay in school until further notice. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I even just saw a similar thing that was happening in Sycamore where they had planned, their school district was planning on going back in person for all grade levels or having the option of a hybrid plan, right? And it was the same thing. You have these numbers in place, you have your 8% and you have your 100 out of a thousand and you're blowing right by those. And yet the plan is still in place to go back in person. And now people are, you know, you have half of the board saying, Maybe we, maybe this isn't a good enough sample size. Do we really know if the case rate is this high? And then other people saying, well, why do we have these metrics in place that we establish to govern these things and then not paying attention to them? And I think for a lot of this, it is a risk versus reward thing, right? It's, 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 it's people saying that, oh, you know, that for younger people, the the death rate is, is this. So can we say, you know, is it worth going back in person if we feel like that's not, you know, a big enough risk? So Lawanda, I'm curious for you and from what you're seeing from other parents, what percentage, do you think that there is a large percentage of parents that feel like the reward or the necessity to go back to school is worth the risk of whatever that could be? Definitely, definitely. Um, I've like gotten into arguments with parents on like Facebook and things. Cause they're like, no, my kid needs to be in school. And in my mind is like, okay, yes, they need to be in school. Do I want to send my kids to school? Of course I do. Like not to have four kids running around my house seven days a week. I would love it, but it's just, to me, it's not worth the risk because they're saying, oh, well, if the, the number is this small in a certain age group, okay, you're not only putting your child at risk, you're putting other teachers at risk, you're putting staff at risk, you're putting other students at risk. You don't necessarily know what that person, child or adult has going on. It's not like they're walking around with a big t-shirt on and says, hey, I have a heart condition. So is I don't think regardless of what the number is, one kid or one staff member getting sick and, and possibly becoming terminal with it is not enough. It's, that's still too much to me. Yeah. And also just there's so much that we don't know about yeah. COVID-19 right now. You know, we don't know what the long-term effects are. We don't know how long, you know, if, if you have it, we don't know how long you could be immune for. We don't know how long, if you can get it, all that stuff that I think you have to weigh in on your decision of this risk versus reward that it seems like more and more Schools want to have this conversation, and it seems like people are just, I'm sick of being inside. I want to go back. But yet, at the same time, positivity rates are going up. All of these metrics are going up. And also, it looks like we have one more question in that I want to get to everyone. Again, thank you to everyone that has been leaving questions. Thank you to everyone that has been leaving comments. And again, I want to say just thank you to Maggie, Eric, Lawanda, thank you guys a ton for just lending your perspective, lending your knowledge to this conversation. I'm just someone that asks questions. <laughs> okay, so we have one right here that says, interesting that, interesting that kids still can't take an elective due to scheduling conflicts or class roads, loads. 
And now that remote learning is happening, scheduling isn't really a concern. And they say, at what point can we allow kids to take additional electives to allow them to explore other interests without schedule, driving choices and availability? Is this an opening for the future? Could there be for the future with, as we get more into technology and remote learning, are there more opportunities do you guys feel for other electives and maybe that would be more difficult to pull off before we were all so well acquainted with this? Maggie? Um, possibly, yeah, to, um, for kids to take additional classes outside of their regular school day. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say so. And, you know, we do have, um, you know, partnerships with like the community college and stuff that allows them to take courses as well. Dual as part credit, of, like, dual things credit. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say yes, but um, like I was saying earlier, it's, it would be kind of hard, you know, for certain classes to just be fully, you know, a remote in a remote setting. All right, I think that we're, Eric, go ahead, go ahead, please. Oh, I just wanted to, like, I definitely think that, um, you know, after COVID is over, like what we're learning how to do and teach um, remotely and everything, like, I think it blows open the door where maybe we can shuffle up and change the, the school schedule. You know, why haven't we offered you know, night classes online. Well, you know, why haven't we done that for, especially in Rockford, we have a lot of students that might need to work during the day. So I have a lot of hope that we can make some really good positive changes in the future. I think that's a great place to wrap up and let you guys have one more question, which is looking ahead to the future. What are some of the big things that we can take away from this that you think are silver linings for the future? Things that you've learned during, whether it be teaching or Lawanda, things that you've observed as a parent or things for your kids. I guess we'll start with you. Is there something that for the future you feel like with COVID we can take away that it's a positive that can make education for your kids better going forward? Um, I, the positive thing that I think we can take away from it is learning a new way to teach. Um, not only, you know, just teachers, but parents too. So learning those new ways to engage the students um, for a parent, learning new ways to watch your student to make sure that they're doing everything that they're supposed to do and really opening that line of communication between parents and teachers. Absolutely. Maggie? Um, I would say that the positive I could take away is like the teachers really coming together and, and helping each other through whether it was learning the, the platform or coming up with creative ways. Not that we weren't doing it before, but it's just a, in a, this different setting that we really you know, came together and were able to help each other. And so we all you know, were there to help our students become as successful as, as possible. Eric? Uh. Yeah, those are both good answers. Uh, <laughs> um, I would, I think one big takeaway is that a, a lot of people are now recognizing how much support teachers give students on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, assigning assigning a, a a task and then grading it and giving it back to them is not what teaching is. Teaching is what happens in the classroom, and it's magic. And now that we have less of it, we're seeing we're seeing what happens when teachers are not uh, not able to be there. All right. So, well. That should be it. I want to thank everyone that has left a comment, that has left a question. And of course, I want to thank everyone, Maggie, Eric, Lawanda. 
thank you guys a ton for jumping on here, answering all these questions, lending your perspective. And also Maggie, Eric, I want to thank you guys. I know that it's a ton of work and it's been a, a totally wild new experience. So I want to thank you guys for that. And Lawanda, I want to thank you for putting in the work that you're doing, helping out with your kids and doing all this stuff. You guys are all astounding pulling this off during a pandemic. The fact that anyone's getting anything done during this long weekend, I have no idea how it's happened. So again, let's give ourselves a round of applause there and thank you guys for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. I personally want to say thank you to Maggie and Eric. Um, I looked into being a teacher and it was not for me. So thank you for sharing your gifts because it is not an easy task and I know this is not making it any easier. So thank you for being teachers and thank you for continuing to outpour to your students. All right. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for being an involved parent. That's yes. <laughs> that is the crucial ingredient. Right. Agreed. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been Teachers Lounge Live. Thank you guys for listening. And of course, if you're just coming in at the tail end here and you missed all this conversation, you're like, oh my gosh, I missed the whole thing. This seemed great. Don't worry. It'll be all on the website tomorrow. You'll be able to find it on WNIJ.org. You'll be able to find it on podcast services across the globe, wherever it is that you get those things. So thank you to everyone that is tuned in. And thank you once again, Lawanda, Eric, Maggie. It's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Okay, the live stream is finished. We should be good. Fantastic. Perfect. Nice. That, that went that fun. went really well. We did. We all did good. I, I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I I am less nervous than I was when I started. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It got it, easier as as like we went along. So. I'm glad. I'm glad. I, I hey, we didn't have any catastrophic technical difficulties. So like I said, it was all going to be fine if we avoided that. We're all good. So again, that that's thank you guys a ton. And I've got all of your email. So as soon as the like podcast version of this goes up, I will shoot you the link and you guys can uh, can have that and again eric you've been on the show before thank you again maggie lawanda really appreciate hearing from you guys and thanks a ton i know this was kind of short notice so even more so i appreciate it oh thank you i, I, thank I you. enjoyed it i actually might uh, start considering some radio here hey there we go <laughs> hey we're always looking for help <laughs> all right have a great night guys thanks so much you all right, thanks. thank you all right bye bye, bye.